I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the show show. It's the Playing Footsie Show, which is apparently a very, very ingenious name. <laughs> the Playing Footsie Show. We've got it. We've trademarked it. So you can't have it. Uh, welcome back, guys. Uh, each week we talk about the stocks and the weekend news. We've got a couple of news items to talk to you today about and uh, a couple of deep dives into some uh, stocks you might either have heard of or not heard of. Uh, today with me, we've got Steve D and Steve W. And how are you guys doing this week? And uh, what have you been getting up to? Yeah, hi, Paul. Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's been Hello. a busy week here, actually. It's the first week of term back at work for us, so it's all chaos. We're a few people light on the staff side because uh, they've all got COVID. We're a couple of people light on the student side because they've also got COVID. Um, so there's not been much opportunity to sort of look at my portfolio, which is probably saved me a bit of pain over the last week or so. I had a quick look before the start of the podcast and most things are a bit lower than they were when I last left them. Uh, just to fill in anyone who was listening towards the end of last week's show, which the stats from YouTube indicate there was nobody, uh, but the REIT I've gone for is uh, uninspiringly realty income. Uh, I did a bit of a dive on it and had a listen to their earnings call, was quite taken with it. Um, I think they're a non-obvious sector, but a really good example of something that's going to do well in that sector uh, with the way they're set up. I can see one big risk for them, but it's a minor-ish risk that I can foresee there. Paul, you've got an interesting face on. Talk to me. That surprised me. I didn't think you'd go obvious. You're not an obvious bloke. You, you, keeping it simple. Quite like that. It's quite good. thought you were going to find something, you know really random and deep down in the bargain basement bin. But, uh, so I found no, a lot of really random that. things. I went looking at Timberland REITs. I went looking at kind of specialty REITs. I went looking at farmland REITs. And I went looking at um, things that own ground rents and stuff like that. And I eventually concluded that uh, that was kind of just a little bit too much being creative for the sake of being creative for me. I'd like to talk about these things more, but I probably wouldn't like to own them, I don't think. Anyway, <laughs> how are you, Steve? Yeah. He's just buying it for the dividend. <laughs> it's just around, yeah, the monthly dividend to get three pound a three pound a month. <laughs> so first up for me, guys, I just want to thank everybody who donated this week. Uh, we got three um, really nice donations and messages from uh, from Michael and from Chris and from Ethan. Um, so thank you very much, guys. Really, really appreciate. One of these people has been contacted to appear on the show because they are a bit of an investing celebrity. But we'll leave that for you for you to deduce. Yeah, um, in nice. terms of my week, uh, I've had a pretty decent week. Uh, I took advantage of uh, another sort of week of turmoil on Wednesday to rearrange my small cap pie um, because lots of other stocks have become small caps. Um, there's a, a sort of a hidden Nasdaq crash. I mean, you've seen 10% come off the top, but I've seen 70% come off some of the stocks I really like. So uh, they've been going into a little uh, brand new small cap pie. Um, we're still looking for a name for it. It's got a lot of SAS in it, so there's a lot of opportunities to use the word <laughs> SAS in, uh, in the SAS way. Um, but if you've got any um, 
good ideas, um, just let me know in the comment section. At the moment, it's called the Sass Kicker, but I have sort of toyed with calling it the Deposit Destroyer as well, because that's what it's kind of been doing since <laughs> I started it. But um, yeah, hit me up in the comments if you've got an interesting name. Will there be a link in the description below so people can see that pie? If you want to look at the pie, I will put you a link in the description. You just let me know if you actually want to see it. Um, but um, you wouldn't have wanted to see it three months ago because um, it's been eye-bleedingly bad at times. But um, I sense good times ahead for it. I think we all want to see uh, Steve D's juicy pie, trust me. Um, with me this week, uh, I'm losing money. I'm starting to lose a lot of money um, on the market oh, right now. But I think everybody is right. Uh, you guys... Had a little bit of a dip this week. Yeah. Um, I am Greenwald, though. I'm just looking at my... Oh, this is on Thursday. So, uh, sorry, I am Greenwald except for AT&T, which is 7% down, which is very, very, very annoying. Um, that I've, I've got one stock and it's down by so... That's, see, that's a lot to me. 7% down on a stock is a lot to me. I'm scared that I've never been through a real crash now and... You guys are suffering a little bit more than I am. Uh, Paul, I'm I count scared. 7% down as green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, I've, I've probably had, a, uh, you know, a couple of thousand come off the top. So it's, uh, it's, it is still painful. I think we are now heading into a market and uh, into a bear market on some things. Um, and I'm pretty sure the NASDAQ has definitely fallen over 10% now, hasn't it? It's uh, now in officially in a correction. I, I believe as of this week. I saw it, it was a, it was yesterday. Yeah, uh, I think it rose two percent on open uh, today. So whether it stayed there, not entirely sure. Not sure, this I is Thursday, by the way, for people uh, for people listening on Sunday. But like Steve W, I've also been hit with freaking Corona. Um, how many times can we say COVID in one um, <laughs> in one episode to try and really get that algorithm to not like us at all? Uh, but I've been stuck with my kid all day. Oh, stuck with my kid. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, unexpectedly, I wasn't allowed to work today because uh, our nursery has gone down with COVID and that's it. Uh, apparently, one person goes down with COVID and that's it. The whole nursery shut down. And and uh, yeah, we uh, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a tough day. It's been a very tough day, let's put it that way. And I'm very, 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 very tired. Um, okay, so this week, what we're going to talk about, we've got, uh, ooh, we've got a little bit of a read first. Um, but we've also got Steve W uh, with the game this week. I don't know what we're playing, but Steve W, take whatever you've got going away. All right, let's play a game then. Uh, so it's been a long time it feels like that we've been doing the podcast and we haven't actually had much of a footsie game uh, from what i can remember of it and this my attention to this was drawn by some people appreciating our uh, the name of our show so let's start playing footsie then uh here's how nice. this game works um we got the footsie 100 everyone's favorite index um and here's <laughs> what we're gonna do uh it's a combination of your least favorite games uh, basically uh, oh, you can take it in turns to name me a stock that's on the FTSE 100. Um, lowest market cap wins. Five rounds. Um, whoever wins the most of them, if we get tiebreaker, I've got a tiebreaker, which basically is we carry on um, <laughs> until someone wins. Uh, if you pick a stock that's not on the FTSE 100, obviously you automatically can't win that round. But um, 
Nice and straightforward. Let's see how we go. Uh, Paul, you want to go first? This is going to be... uh, what do I need to do? Because I, I barely listened to that. Put <laughs> 100 stock with a low market cap. As low as you can. Okay, lowest... Oh, God, this is hard. This is going to be really a hard. 100. Yeah, but you've got, you've got some mm-hmm. on the 100 with like a billion market cap. And they're not all going to be in the billions, are they? I'm going to go with... First of all, I've been looking at one stock, IG Group. Let's go with that. IG Group. I think they're in the 250. They might be in the 250, actually. You're right. Do I get an immediate for that? Yes. Steve, press the button. Okay. (laughs) With with pleasure. So I'm going to offer up... Hard. Hard. I'm going to offer up also a company which I think is on the 250, but... I've, I've got a funny feeling they just moved back into the 100. Mm. So I'm going to offer up Kingfisher Group. Mm, Kingfisher Group, that's a bold uh, idea. Out of interest, since this is a five-round game and Paul has just currently missed, you know you could have chosen, like, Glaxo <laughs> or something and still won. Yeah, you could have just gone high. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I really need a point, Steve. I don't, know if, <laughs> I don't know if you understand how bad I'm going to be at this game. Okay, uh... <laughs> Well, good news for you, Steve. Kingfisher is uh, in the FTSE oh, 100. It's the 72nd largest uh, company. Oh, I didn't oh, think nice. it was that high. In the 100. Nice. Uh, with a market cap, I believe, of... I've got 6,984 or 6 billion, yeah. 984 million written next to it here. Okay, that's more uh, than These I were all sourced off the LSE London Stock Exchange's website this morning, so it should include the changes from December. Um, yeah. What that's worth. This is... This is the hardest bit, is trying to choose companies with just like around a two, three billion market cap, but aren't out of, you know, aren't in the 250. Well, I feel like going first is a disadvantage here, Paul. So let's let's stick Steve back in again for a moment, because if you trip over again, you're going to make his life very easy. Uh, Steve, (laughs) you go first. Yeah, true. So I'm going to... I'm going to go for... I think Aviva is smaller than Kingfisher at those numbers you've given me. So I'm... I'm going to go for Aviva. Uh, well, well, you are wrong. Uh, but um, Aviva is on the FTSE 100. It is the 30... Uh, uh, sorry, can I just check how you're spelling Aviva, actually? Uh, D-O-G. Yeah, that one. Got it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's the 35th largest company in the FTSE 100. It's significantly <laughs> bigger than uh, Kingfisher, actually, um, as of this morning, anyway. Uh, but Aviva is... Uh, a correct answer, anyway. Have, have yourself a ding for that, Steve. Thank you. Well done, because <laughs> we've got those things working today. Paul, uh, any advance on so, Aviva for a smaller market? Yeah. Cap? Yeah, so for me to go smaller, I'm guessing BT, BT, British Telecom, is Ooh. smaller. BT Group, huh? Uh, yeah. And you think it's two in my much head. smaller? Uh, what's the other I one? I think in your it head? is much smaller. No, no, no. I want to save that one because that was going to be my lead one for the next one. Oh, okay. Yep, sorry. Right on. Yeah. Uh, BT Group is the 31st biggest uh, company on the FTSE 100. Oh, that was so close. Yeah, it's pretty much adjacent, but mm, no, not on that one. Okay, no. Paul, you'll go again. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go for one stock which I know has fallen ridiculously and has mm-hmm. either almost been kicked out or is about to be kicked out. And I'm going to go with ITV. ITV. Ooh. Okay. Oh. Um, 
I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to let Steve oh, no. go next and then I'll tell you where we're at here because I, oh, I, no. I think telling Steve in advance, I think telling the person who goes first a number here is giving him an advantage. I won't tell you next time, but what do you reckon, oh, Steve? Yeah. Uh, anything better than ITV? Um, yeah, I think I can beat <laughs> ITV. Mm. I think Associated British Foods. No. Yeah. Okay, Associated British Foods is 33rd. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, I've got to have beaten that. Uh, do you have any idea what number you think ITV is, Paul? I I thought it was about to get kicked out of the 100, so I thought mm-hmm. it was really low. I thought it was getting low. Yeah. It's 99. Um, oh, wow. get in. Get in. One thing I will point out, though, just um, for entire clarity here, strictly there are 101 correct answers because the FTSE 100 isn't actually 100 stocks because, no. like the S&P 500, actually has a few more. Um, and you can probably work out why, actually. Uh, any ideas? Nope. No idea. Probably because uh, of the Jewish shuffle, are they? Oh, because there's an E and a B somewhere, is there? Yep, what's the A and the B? Paul? Shell. Oh, yes. Shell and all that lot. Yep, yeah. Shell and Shell. Uh, so RDSA and RDSB are both on there, and I think they probably count okay. that as one. They're taking up one thing, uh, so they've got mm. another 99. So ITV is strictly there are two better answers, but uh, it was going to be very hard <laughs> to find them there. Yeah. Uh, well done, Paul. Uh, Steve, I think you're leading off on this one. Yeah, so I'm going to go with a risky one, which I think might be in the 250 again, but I'm going to go with Centrica. Centrica. No, that's 100. Huh? Quite high in the 100 as well, I think. Oh, that's, that's mm. annoying. Steve's looking for it. I am looking for it. Paul, what have you got? Uh, no, because no, I was going to play this one safe, because I obviously know a couple of FTSE 100. Oh, God. So what's Centrica? Ah, that's so hard because they've been on the list. I've seen all the Motley Fool things of them being great dividend stocks and stuff like that. <laughs> you know the UK Motley Fool stuff. And I think I feel like they're quite low now. Um, so I'm going to go with it's BAE or Legal in General. I know the market cap of BAE. BAE. Legal in General has got to be about eight. So let's go for Legal in General. As the lower one. Right. Um, Centrica, I just had to Google this to check because I am also surprised. It's FTSE 250. Um, oh, it, got, and it got dropped out surprising. recently, but I wasn't sure if it came back in when Kingfisher came in. Mm. Yeah. Great, great thinking. Um, I still feel Legal in general, in. Paul, you know full well is in there. Uh, it's at 32, yeah, for what that's worth. Oh. Um, Not 32 but, billion. Uh, uh, no, sorry, it's like... number 32 on the uh, yeah, okay. footsie. Yeah. That's, that's, pretty right. low. that's pretty low down, that. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, it's about mm. a third of the way down, I guess. But okay, uh, we have a deciding round then. The first two went to Steve, second two went to Paul. Um, Ooh, I like this. Final round. If only you kept ITV in the bank here, Paul, this would be dramatic. Yeah, but, I know. Um, mm. But where, where you got? Can you find number? Can you find 100? Or 101? No way. <laughs> No way. I don't think oh. you can, actually. I've looked at these two. What, I, I don't think you will. But What market cap is, is 100? 100 is 4.676, and 101 is 4.471. That's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. It's only 100 companies, me. of course. Um, and one of the yeah. things to note about this, because I initially had this as a game of, 
I was going to boldly try and add up these market caps so that if you missed one, it wasn't an automatic win for the other person. But two things were the problem there. One is that I couldn't add them up fast enough and say lowest score wins. And second is it actually gets quite gradual for quite a bit and then goes up sharply towards the top uh, mm. 10, 10.20 or so. There's, there's quite a big gap. So if you hit the third one, you've probably lost, <laughs> to be honest. Hmm. Hmm. Who's okay. going first, Paul? Uh, yes. Uh. Oh, Why not? God, I've either got a really I'll ridiculous... I'll go fast, Paul, if you're struggling. Go on. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's more that I'm struggling with the market cap. Go on. Yeah, I don't know the market cap of this one. I just know it's on the uh, FTSE 100, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to go with next. I think it's next group, but it might just be next. As in the oh. shops, yeah? Dang. Yes, the shop. Okay. Um... I, so I, I won't uh, keep you in suspense here. That is in the FTSE 100. That is a correct yeah. answer, Steve. I'll take a ding for that. <laughs> a ding just for guessing. That, well, we haven't yeah. been very well what, just, that, to, just to, to raise things a little bit here, uh, I'll tell you, Steve, that is number 49. So you're almost exactly halfway. Uh, yeah, it's... it's, it's Paul. Uh, I've Anything got to from go. bottom half will do it, Paul. Best of luck that, Paul. Yeah, I know, this is hard. So the only two I've got in my head now, because I've gone blank, are BAE, which will be about 18 billion, and that is just going to be too high on the list. So what's National Group going to be? Like 40? Definitely in the bottom half. Unilever is definitely in the bottom half. (laughs) Um, It is now. (laughs) Glaxo. Glaxo's in the bottom half. Um, Yeah, exactly. uh, Yeah. Exactly. Where does National Grid fit in this? It's going to be the 40, isn't it? Tiny. No, no. no it's on the, the, it's on the aim. Oh, God. Uh, you've it's already had ABA. Go for it. Mm, trying to stay away from anything pharmaceutical. Because <laughs> immediately AstraZeneca pops into your head and you go, okay, oh, yeah, number two or number Steven, one. put a time limit on it. We can't go on forever. Yeah. That's I can't, right. yeah, I can't keep talking. Okay. This. You know what? I'm I'm squirming. Uh, I can't think of any British company. Vodafone's going to be too high. Vodafone's not even British, is it? Um, oh, the trouble is, if you go too low and you think of some of the stuff like Games Workshop, you fall out of the 100. Yeah, uh, which exactly. Is the other kind of this is the tricky. This bit, is yeah. the toss up, isn't it? I'm trying to think of any mm. British company now. Shell, pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've you've got. I think you've done the whole top ten now. Um, BP, they'll be in the top ten. BP, stop giving me. BP's a bad answer. Stop destroying my name. Uh, uh, I can't. I can't. Not BP. My my lowest I could possibly think of is National Grid right now, and that's the only one. It's not, is it? It's not. It's not. It's got owns half of America's grid as well. Yeah, hold on. And quite a lot of Scandinavian grid. So that's probably about ten billion, is it, Steve? Yeah, Uh, it probably is. No, it's quite a lot higher than that. Um, Is it? Is it? Yeah, it's number sixteen on the list, which is um, significantly too high. Um, Next is ten billion. Mine's gone blank. Pretty much. Pretty much everything you named there, Paul, was a good example of what not to say. Unfortunately, most of the stuff that you owned from the FTSE was, would have lost as well. Segro would have lost. Rio Tinto would have lost. Segro. Um, there were some places you could have gone to try and get um, safe. JD Sports is kind of adjacent. Antofagasta? Um, Antofagasta would have lost to that one. Antofagasta oh, is 40. Wow. But it is a correct answer. 
Um, you're, I was willing you towards pharmaceuticals, actually, but specifically Dexter really? Pharmaceuticals, which is 101, and Hikma nah. Pharmaceuticals, which is 100. Uh, not towards oh, Glaxo. Oh, Hikma. No oh, Hikma. That would have been the great one. Oh, recently. Harvey's Lansdowne at 77 That's... would also have got you there. Yeah, I'm just going to say, Steve, good. I'm really glad we played this game and not the, not like the 12 days of Christmas, but with the FTSE 100. Honestly, I thought about <laughs> that, but there are only 100 companies on there, and if you need 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus, now I'm not sure we've got enough companies here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we struggle when there's, there's 500 pool to pick from. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that game. That was very good. Uh, even though That's on the last game, round Steve. there, I was a bit disappointed because I went completely blank and I can't think of any single British company that... Uh, Sainsbury's. I gave Sainsbury's, you so many Sainsbury's. Calls. Sainsbury's. <laughs> I would have Sainsbury's. Been, yeah, Sainsbury's straight in there. Yeah, in the 70s. Fuck me. Fuck yep. me. Why couldn't <laughs> I have just thought that up? Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. Um, you want to do an ad read? Uh, we can do. We have an actual ad. It's, you want to tell people that we believe have an it or not, ad? guys? Yeah, believe it or not, guys. Uh, we put it out there because we're trying to keep the uh, podcast going. We put it out there to anybody who might want to sponsor us, and well, take it away, Steve. <laughs> yep. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor us, we'll write the ad for you. Here we go. Uh, so our show this week is sponsored by Genuine Impact. Uh, investing in stocks is a complicated business. It can leave you almost as confused as the UK Prime Minister is when he's trying to work out whether or not he's been to any good parties lately. But fortunately for us as investors, we don't have to wait around for Sue Gray to tell us whether or not a stock is a decent buy at its current price. We have Genuine Impact for that. If you want to get started doing your own research on a stock that we mentioned on the show, Genuine Impact is a pretty good place to start. Flip open the app and they've got all kinds of information to help you find your way. 33 fundamental data points, tick. A key dates feature to help you stay on top of the news, tick. Portfolio breakdowns to help you see how balanced your investments are, tick. They even have a really cool thing called the Top Holdings Inspector, which looks at the holdings of ETFs that you have, adds them to the stocks in your portfolio, and then works out your overall exposure to any particular company. So if you have seven ETFs of Kellogg's in them, you can see just how much of your overall portfolio is exposed to growth trends in plant-based meat. Uh, and if you're looking for research tools that are not me, Steve, or Paul, uh, give Genuine Impact a go. Uh, unlike the three of us, they have loads of interesting information about companies for you. We've got a link in the description to get you started. And there's an offer on at the moment where your first three months are just a fiver. That's less than one of Steve's Bristol-Myers Squibbidens. So download on the App Store or Google Play. Genuine Impact, this week's sponsor. Beautiful. Wow, check Beautiful. that out. All in one take and just great. And that's going to get... We've got to do that for a couple of weeks, but uh, that's going to get better and better, and the jokes are going to change every week, I'm sure. <laughs> the jokes are going to change. I'm not convinced they're going to get better and better. Let's stick with the jokes going to change. It'll be different next week. No, that's amazing. Thank you to everybody again for uh, putting the donations in and uh, obviously sp sponsoring uh, Genuine Impact for, um, for keeping us alive, basically, until next year. You're going to have us... With everybody's donations, you're probably going to have us for another year now, and that keeps us going. So thank you, thank you so much to everybody. Right, we're going to move on to the to the meaty part of the podcast now. We have got uh, basically news for the week because we haven't really seen each other since all, well, the world just went to shit after JP Morgan. So we've got a bit of bank earnings, going to explain why this might, might have made a difference to the stocks. We've got Microsoft and Activision, don't worry. I know everyone else has done this to death, but we're going to keep this one short because we've got a little bit on the Unilever Glaxo uh, Smith Klein 
debacle basically i'm just going to call it that because it's just absolutely crazy and steve d has got uh, a deep dive into a an unknown stock uh, a stock that's yet to be announced but it's one that surprised you because it's definitely not what uh, i expected to be honest with you so anyway let's go for bank earnings first what what happened jp morgan came out first uh as far as i can see pretty good but what happened yeah, pretty good, it looks like, at least at first sight anyway. The bank earnings from the US, I've looked at four of them. I looked at JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and Goldman Sachs. And from what I can tell of this, the market took their results in different ways. It looked like it identified sort of two winners in the form of Bank of America and Wells Fargo, two that it didn't like in the form of JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, and one that it sort of couldn't really make its mind up on, which was Citigroup. And the more I look at these the more I struggle to find anything to disagree with in kind of market reactions here. So um, to just run through numbers very quickly then on the winners, you had Bank of America, uh, which beat on earnings and was just about right on uh, revenues. Wells Fargo was ahead on both of them. Um, on the loser side, I guess, JP Morgan beat on both of them. Uh, Goldman Sachs beat on revenues and was under on earnings. Uh, and Citigroup was ahead on both of them, but Citigroup is an interesting sort of state at the moment. They're trying to reorganize their business and sell off loads of their parts of it that are kind of disconnected from other bits. But the kind of two big themes then that I saw coming through that were making things interesting, JP Morgan said that their earnings beat was pushed quite well by a kind of loan reserve release. So we've heard a lot of these over the last few quarters, basically. Banks keeping money back to cover loans going bad, especially during a pandemic when people are struggling to get to work and so on. JP Morgan said, yeah, they did pretty well, uh, but they did well as a result of some kind of loan release, reserve releases bumping them up. Same with Bank of America, same with Wells Fargo. Uh, the bigger thing that was coming through and weighing on a couple of these was wage inflation. Um, and both JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, and to an extent Bank of America, but less so, and I think this is why the market kind of liked their responses, um, and pushed their stock higher on the day, said that they're feeling wage inflation here. So JP Morgan said that their costs, not just wages, but costs in general are up about 23%. Uh, sorry, that's Goldman Sachs up 23%, 11% JP Morgan with another 8% to rise next year. Bank of America said up 6%, but flat after that. And Wells Fargo had nothing to say on that subject particularly. So the thing that's really weighing on them here is wage inflation. People wanting to get paid more uh, and successfully getting paid more. And of course, that weighs on the gap between revenues and earnings. And that's the kind of big theme that I saw from uh, the most recent set of bank earnings anyway, just to run through those quickly. Yeah. So first of all, I can only really talk about this from the uh, angle of JP Morgan, because I don't really look mm. into the other banks, if I'm honest with you. Uh, and I know a little bit about the glass, uh, the glass of Cloud, the... Um, uh, Goldman Sachs one uh, as well. So the first thing is the estimates. The estimates, I largely put that down. Uh, pe people will say, uh, all, JP Morgan came out and said, oh, we only hit estimates because of the loan reserves. And the estimates, what people are missing here is that the estimates did include the loan reserves. Everyone was making these estimates based on the loan reserve being released. So the news shouldn't have been, shouldn't uh, the news that, oh, we only made it because of loan reserves shouldn't, shouldn't have been news and the market reacted really badly. The second is the wage inflation, like what you say. Now we need to decide whether this wage inflation between the banks, particularly Goldman Sachs, which was 
ridiculous. Everyone is saying, you know, on Twitter right now, everyone's saying that it's really hard to get a job at uh, Goldman Sachs because they want the best talent and they're willing to pay for it. And obviously, JP Morgan's feeling it as well because, uh, again, they're saying the same thing. Best talent is requiring more wages. Now, is this, uh, uh, when we come at it from, a, from an entire market view, is this just uh, a talent pool problem within the, the bigger banks and they're all at the fintechs or, the, you know, uh, they're having to raise their wages to, to stop them defecting to the new fintechs or crypto or anything like that. Or is this uh, a, a cash injection problem or, you know, a quantitative easing problem where we're generally raising wages and that's going to cause earnings within all the big businesses on the S&P 500 to get worse and worse? And is that going to cause an inflationary pressure? And, and that's what... So, so I haven't quite worked out what the market saw here because everybody knows when the banks release, it's a good marker for what the the market is or, or what earnings season is going to look like going forward. And when the banks fall 4% on their earnings, you you get really scared for the rest of earnings season. Generally, a lot of people do. So that, to me, uh, makes it feel like it's less to do with a talent pool problem within the major banks. It's more actually to do with inflation, and we might have a real wage inflation problem coming in the future. What do you guys think of that? Did you go any further on that, or was that just me picking up on that? Well, wages are uh, rising wages are a symptom of inflation, aren't they? Um, that's one of the ways that bank um, that businesses will try to counter. Um, to, to counter inflation is to offer higher wages. Um, so if you can subtract inflation um, off um, wage inflation, you probably wouldn't be a million miles away from what is standard wage inflation. Um, the other point to really make out is that America is going through somewhat of a great resignation at the moment. There's quite a lot of people who are refusing to work for the minimum wage. There's quite a lot of people who are refusing to uh, work on tip-based salaries because they don't feel like they're, they're fairly distributed. Um, and you'll find that a lot of low-paid jobs, um, I mean, you only have to go on LinkedIn and have a look at people complaining about people don't want to work there's there's an element of that in combination with they don't want to work for poor salary um so there has to be a balancing there somewhere and how that works uh, i'm glad i'm not the person uh, obviously coming up with the solution for that but they're the two sort of issues in america at the moment um that i can see yeah you're right and also goldman sachs being one that's i i as i recall forcing people to come into the office to work, uh, which is another thing. So they're going to have to pay people a lot more to, to to give up their work from home. I know a lot of people, as soon as the UK came out of this work from home is uh, recommended thing, which came out like yesterday or at least sometime this week it, it happened. Uh, a lot of people on my Facebook and Twitter were just just angry they were like oh my god i have to go back into the office now people really don't want to go back into the office um and i, I think goldman sachs is one of those that just said nope you're back in now we're, we're going to we're going to do it wolf of wall street style again goldman certainly started off by saying that i heard talk that they were going to be a bit more accommodating on that more recently but okay. i wonder i mean it's certainly the case and they there is something about this idea that uh the big investment banks are in a sense needing to cater to their clients if their clients want to show up and want to see somebody they've got to have someone in the damn office or they're going to go up the road to the next bank uh, or something along those lines which kind of makes me think 
they might want even to let people work from home in order to try and keep them and maybe pay them less to work from home and let go of some office rent and that kind of thing. But I'm not sure it's entirely possible for them. Um, for what it's worth in this space, I sold JP Morgan last quarter. I sold it at 160. The stock went to 170 and I look like an idiot. And now it's back at 150 and I look cleverer again. Uh, the reality is neither of those is particularly fair reflection. Um, the reason I sold was I was slightly surprised actually to see loan reserve releases still coming through. I thought we were kind of running out of room on that a little bit from the banks. Uh, and I thought the time where they can keep pushing those earnings up with loan reserves is uh, dwindling a bit. And at some point that will happen um, if we kind of get back to normal in a certain way. But uh, I backed out of this one and I'm I'm watching from the sidelines on JP Morgan. I'm watching with a bit more interest actually on Citigroup who have a really interesting restructuring going on that we'll get into another day. But that's where I'm uh, di dis yeah, directing my attention on the bank for now. I've been watching Goldman Sachs for what it's worth. I think oh, that's yeah. a very interesting bank moving forward. I think uh, they're basically the number one on the IPO circuit. And there's still a lot of really, really big IPOs to go from that Goldman Sachs can um, can um, can profit from. So, yeah, they're a really interesting company for me. Yeah, making a lot in the investing world, definitely. It's, it's something I've seen recently, but it, I still find it too complicated sometimes. All right, let's move on to the Microsoft and Act Activision uh, merger or acquisition. Um, I think, I feel like a lot that has needed to be said on this subject has already been said on YouTube. So we are going to keep this very, very short. Um what, what do you guys feel about this and what's what's going on, really? Okay. I can give you an overview of um, of the deal, really. So a really, really quick overview of Activision for people who don't understand it. It's a long-standing um, blue-chip game developer, and it has some rather large but somewhat tired franchises. So um, namely, just a couple of them, Mobile Game, Candy Crush, uh, Call of Duty, Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft. Um, it's quite recently discounted stock. Um, it's had some really severe issues with staff reporting harassment, racism, um, and bullying. And um, the CEO, Bobby Kotick, has sort of overseen all of this. Um, and the outlets are reporting he was probably party to some of it. Um, but, you know, that that is reportedly. We, we, we don't know that. Um, but he, he is staying in place, and this could be just to see the deal through to completion. Um, so the deal itself, it's a $68 billion all cash deal. Um, Sachin Nadella said that players everywhere love Activision Blizzard games. Um, I think he's wrong. I don't think people particularly do. I think they're franchises uh, that are often quite widely derided. They attract quite a lot of hate from people who are quite passionate about gaming. They're a casual gamer's game. Um, Phil Spencer, CEO of Microsoft and host of Love It or List It, um, he said, um, together we'll build a future where anyone can play the games they want, virtually anywhere they want. Um, this has been sort of widely accepted as being like a metaverse statement, but I don't think it is. I think it's more aimed at cloud-based gaming, which is where Microsoft looked to be going. Uh, cloud-based gaming being where the majority of the processing is done in the cloud. Essentially, all you need is a screen and a subscription to be able to play the game. So... Just a little bit on how Microsoft are funding it. On the 10th of December, I alerted Paul to uh, Microsoft yeah. filing a debt shell for an indeterminate amount. I was going to mention um, this. Basically, this just means that they can place an offering whenever they like for whatever they like. But I don't think they're going to use it. Uh, on the latest yeah. statements I looked, they've got $130 billion of cash. They've got $50 billion of long-term liabilities. So they really could fund this from cash due to having... 80 billion net cash, essentially. Uh, I think the, the the shelf is just there, just in case they need to rebuild that cash a little bit faster than the cash flows will allow. So uh, really, my only take on it is 
do you think it's too late to play it? I, I don't. I don't think it is. It depends on how confident you are that they're actually going to get it through. Uh, Microsoft have named a price of $95 a share. Last mm-hmm. I looked, it was $82 a share at the moment. So there's about 20% upside there, providing you think the regulator could let this one slide through. Thoughts? Whoa, you have gone through a lot there very, very quickly. Uh, wow, where, to break, where to break down? So the first thing is what they're going to use it for. So you've got, you, and you said exactly my thoughts as well. I think they're going to go cloud uh 100% metaverse is obviously a, a, a thing i it's i don't think it's going to be facebook's version of the metaverse i think there's going to be multiple metaverses second uh activision is has tired gaming um yeah i agree call of duty's probably still there i imagine call of duty's still there and it's going to be there for a long time world of warcraft is diminishing i saw a probably two months ago i saw the user data of world of warcraft oh, it's just it's on a negative it's, it's it's on a decline it's a it's a massive decline they they need to do a massive thing to save that franchise because that that's going terribly and also candy crush and diablo is what i used to play when i was 13 so that and i know they've rehashed they're just rehashing diablo all the time so they kind of like they did like diablo 2 uh, the resurrection or something where they basically run the same story, but with a, with a better, um, better graphics basically. And it's, I, I, I do think it's a little bit, bit hashed the debt. Now we've got, let's talk about the debt because you pointed that out two or three weeks before. And we speculated on this and we sat there and, and I wish we'd ran the story. I wish we'd talked about it on here because, oh my God, you would have looked absolutely awesome because you point, you notice that they hit the, made this debt shelf and you're like, we were like, what are they going to buy? What? They're going to buy something. What? What is it? What did we say? What What were we coming up with? We were coming up with all Peloton. sorts of like Etsy and Peloton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we thought <laughs> it like, could be for Pinterest it. maybe. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like really, and we weren't going big enough. I, I, didn't, I, I can't believe no. it. We weren't going big enough. We thought, oh, 18 billion, but they've got the cash for that. And then bang, 70 billion coming out. And finally, the arbitrage play that everyone is talking about at the moment. The last I heard, you've said it's 20%, but the last I heard, it was uh, that the market believes um, there's a 60% chance that this deal will fail. So that would suggest that the market price is 60% below uh, the 70 billion right now. And there's a big possibility. It's good point. Uh, good to point out that the uh, deal failure price on this is only 3 billion. And that's how much that that's a good confidence sign that both companies think this is going to go through. Because uh, if you take things like AT&T, uh, when they tried to buy T-Mobile, I think the deal price, uh, the, the failure price was something like 18 billion or something that they had to give away when that when that deal fell through. So um, that's that's a high, that's when there's a high risk to it that one side might pull out. But in this this, it's only three billion. So there's a really good chance that they think there's a really good chance of this happening. So very interesting to see this happen. I'm very pro it. I'm more than happy. As long as Activision could start coming out with newer newer titles, better hooks on titles, and now they've got a good platform for it. I think Call of Duty is going to be a churn out. I think there's NFTs going in there and, and all that, and then Web3 Metaverse and all that. It's all primed for it, uh, Call of Duty is, but... Yeah, I'd like to see some new titles from them to be able to really push this deal home. I think it's a great, great company, uh, a great deal for for Microsoft. I think um, 
you know, you take take LinkedIn that they, they somehow made LinkedIn work, and this has got a lot more synergy. This has got Xbox written all over it. Um, I think there's going to be there's going to be loads loads to come from this. I yeah, bought, I think by the has... way, I bought about 600 quid of Microsoft on this, dudes. Sorry. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I'm indifferent to this deal. I own neither Microsoft nor Activision, and I don't see that changing in the immediate future. I only have two thoughts, and they're closely connected to the ones that you had. First is, I think this is quite a clever deal from Microsoft, for what it's worth. Just on a kind of price-based thing, there. If, if $95 a share is the, the takeout price here, all in cash, that's only where these shares were last year. Um, Activision has come down uh, basically since last uh, January to this January. It was priced at 95. Then in last February, it was at 101. So Activision shareholders, congratulations to anyone that's been buying it under. Enjoy your uh, push on this and hope the deal goes through. Um, anyone that was buying it at 101 last February, I think they may now be sat looking at a loss um, and pretty much a guaranteed loss because I don't think that share price is going back there, which is why I think this is a smart move from Microsoft. So when we're looking at Peloton and thinking about a takeout price for that, that stock keeps going down and down and down and down. And the takeout price for that is going down and down and down and down with it. And there's going to be some people, I think, who have found they bought it ages ago and are sat waiting and it might just get acquired under the level they bought it at, which isn't great. Uh, other quick thing. Yup, Lena Khan. Remember her, the SEC person who is currently stopping the NVIDIA arm deal. She's an antitrust specialist, so... I am looking forward to seeing how enthusiastically she pursues this deal. Uh, I have a large holding in Amazon, uh, which is not involved in this deal, but is not a million miles from antitrust considerations. Uh, so with the talk that a kind of SEC chief might be uh, an antitrust enthusiast here, I'm keeping an eye on this one to see what she makes of it. Sony have uh, said today that they anticipate Activision titles still being available on PlayStation, but... I sort of <laughs> heard that in a slightly high-pitched voice when I read the um, uh, the release from Sony. Say, yeah, they're definitely gonna be definitely gonna be on PlayStation. It's gonna be fine, probably. Uh, so I'm I interested to see it, how that shapes out. Yeah, I think it creates a lot of opportunity for their Xbox subscription to be to be. We talked about this on the Discord, I think, quite uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, we were talking about Nintendo, and I'm try still trying to get my head around Nintendo. I always, I think you guys own it, um, but I always feel that consoles are made at either a loss or just basically break even. And where I don't like Nintendo is, as far as I know, they don't have some sort of subscription service like Xbox. And Xbox has this that if you let's, let's you. They do. Sorry, I, I don't it's know. Terrible, I, don't, I don't know. Oh, is it? Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I imagine it doesn't have too many titles, not not in comparison to Xbox anyway. So Xbox already has, and if we use the term metaverse, it has the building box for the metaverse. It, it, it could start, even in this subscription model, to start building decentralized land in there if it really wanted to. And we, we're getting a bit, we're getting a bit like, uh, we we're Weird. getting a bit out there, yeah. We're getting a bit <laughs> out there at the moment, but um, it, there's there's a lot there if you want to use the term metaverse. I agree that it's going to be a lot more cloud based and, and blah blah blah. And I don't know where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> the uh, I I think it's good. I, I'm very very excited about this one. I I think it's added. It's simply added value to Microsoft. So where I originally thought that Microsoft was a little bit overvalued at this point, I looked back and I went, actually, now we've got a bit more margin of safety if if it if it develops it. I I worked it out as like probably 
five percent under and i went well microsoft good bit good business ah there's there's room to buy here and that's what i did i i put a bit in it's interesting one interesting one you got anything more to say on microsoft or should we move on oh okay okay the next one the next bit of news uh, from the footsie this is the plain footsie so we better talk about a uk company at some point uh unilever glaxo client i haven't been as uh, i haven't looked into this in great detail but i'm sure someone else has and it's been very popular on the discord yeah, what do you mean you're not as excited by the food company acquiring the toothpaste company as you are about the kind of <laughs> tech company acquiring the games company? Uh, yes, I've been looking at this predictably enough because um, Unilever shares have been pinballing around a little bit and the story is still unfolding somewhat on Thursday for what it's worth. Um, so Unilever started the week as a $100 billion company. Uh, and then became a $90 billion company with a 10% down uh, when it emerged. They made a $50 billion offer to buy Glaxo's uh, consumer products division, which they would like to attach to their own because they feel like the growth is in uh, personal care products rather than food products. Unilever's basic plan is to acquire a personal care products company, get rid of a kind of fairly static uh, food company that's not growing and try and move their top line forward like that. Growth at Unilever has been horrible for the last decade or so. Um, and paying $50 billion, Unilever shares went down. Uh, the deal was rejected by Glaxo, uh, who are holding out for 60. Unilever's shares, uh, Unilever, sorry, board said they're not coming back at 60 and they're not coming back at all. Um, and the shares have recovered somewhat in this situation. I was trying to look at where this leaves Unilever uh, for what it's worth, even at their kind of, 90 billion dollar lower valuation of things they got 35 billion in debt 5 billion in cash and make seven and a half billion in free cash and those are all fairly sort of stable numbers for something like this which means that you're looking at about a seven and a bit percent return growing at two percent gets you to sort of um eight to nine percent over 10 years for total return which is kind of okay but not that inspiring they're trying to move things forward then with this kind of um deal but kind of all i see here is risk in trying to reorganize themselves like this there's risk of overpaying on your acquisition there is almost a guarantee well, it's pretty much guarantee that you'll take on debt for this acquisition because unilever their share price having been kicked means they're less likely to do it through stock uh so they'll take on debt the company that they get will have a load of debt especially if it's the glaxo one which i know to be full of debt for the time being um they need to try and sell a food business to somebody for something like the right price uh, and that all needs to kind of work out. And there's also a fairly certain guarantee that there will be restructuring fees because these transactions will cost money, not in the sense of just spending it, but in terms of fees to make the transactions go through. So normally I think of Unilever as a kind of fairly straightforward, fairly predictable company, right? It makes stuff, that stuff ends up in your house, whether you know it's Unilever or not. Um, and they make money like that. Uh, they don't seem to grow very much, but they also don't seem to shrink very much. Now I kind of see them as sort of inherently unpredictable and this kind of pursuit of growth has me, I find it slightly off-putting, I think, which uh, turns me away from Unilever. Some of the guys on Discord are confident they can do it and they might be correct, uh, but I don't know. And if Unilever shares do recover to where they were before, they would look to me to be like a candidate for a short position if I were into short positions, because I think management will try and acquire something else. And I think the share price will do the same thing when they try and acquire something else as well. Don't act on that, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> that's a guess. And I won't be acting on it for sure. Uh, but if I were the kind of person who liked the short things, 
I would say if Unilever shares get back to a hundred billion dollar, a hundred billion pounds, sorry, market cap, uh, I think that's set up for a short. Um, don't know if you guys have any views on that. I saw um, an interesting, and just a really couple of interesting points. Really, is that I was reading the UBS um, statement on it, and they basically described all of Unilever's problems as being that they're a mile wide and an inch deep. So they spread themselves really, really thin uh, across too many product categories, and they think that uh, consolidating categories and focusing on them could lead to more growth, which I think I could get on board with. And then I read Richard Buxton's statement, who is GSK's largest investor, and he said, the idea of letting the goons at Unilever run it is laughable. <laughs> there is no price at which you should sell it to them. And I thought, huh. There's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting, and I, and I was, went on to read about Richard Buxton because I don't know an awful lot about him. He's a fund manager at Jupiter, and he was, um, from what I can see, he was born on the East End. So now read it again in his voice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds, uh, it sounds amazing. But yeah, I don't really have a lot on this. I don't really have a, a, a dog in the fight. Um, I don't really rate either company as a buy, um, but it's one of these things that I'll be happy to just let, let you know, let happen and watch. The only thing that I've got really to contribute to this on top of that is um, I actually watched, jo uh, did you, anyone watch um, Joseph Carlson's video on uh, Terry Smith recently? I don't know if any of you guys caught it. I thought it was no, really good. No, but I think because... I can see where it's going. Uh, yeah. So I've heard a bit about it, Terry Smith here. So, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's very good video because he basically just plays Terry Smith's video the whole way through. Uh, anybody who doesn't know, Terry Smith is the head of Fundsmith and he's outperformed the market by, I don't know, 30% 30, 30 a year, something like that for the past 10 years, something. That's very crude uh, uh, estimation of that, but it's, it's close. Um, so Terry Smith, we, we talk, and I'm going from here from Steve talking about the toothpaste arm of what uh unilever we're going to buy and he actually mentions terry smith is very very pro toothpaste at the moment he he Ooh. uh I, th I think he has uh some in some in colgate um but he basically says that 80 percent of the world doesn't uh brush their teeth yet and yeah. so there is a value add to the fact and this is what unilever is seeing because they have their um their supply chains and they have their distribution chains to go out to the rest of the world. And when you've got a, the rest of the world that only has, doesn't brush their teeth, they, it, it, Terry Smith was very, very vocal about this. And he said that eye care, uh, as in glasses and, um, any other optician kind of things and toothpaste, um, dental hygiene, they basically, he basically said that 80% of the world doesn't brush their teeth. And when you're trying to mate in that 80% of the world and the hottest males and the hottest females are now brushing their teeth, you're going to want to brush your teeth. And the idea is that it's going to grow and it's going, the idea of brushing your teeth is going to spread quite ridiculously in Southern America, Africa, India, mm. very, very quickly and very, very soon. It's kind of the idea, the same idea that, you know, we're Western, us in the Western areas have, have all these luxuries. Eventually, China is going to become fully middle class. And it's a very interesting take on this deal because I did think that Unilever had an opportunity. They just didn't sort of pay enough for it, if you know what I mean. I've seen this. I've seen this talk before. So he basically says um, a lot of people think that um, you know, your Africa and, and China. Well, he, said, he talks first about rising global wealth, 
And he yeah. says, if you believe rising global wealth is a thing, um, you should be looking in your cupboards uh, and see what you've got and think what would transcend borders. So say, for instance, uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, India, China, they're going to get a growing middle class. So I'll go buy something like a luxury fashion brand like LVMH or Kering or, or Kering, sorry, or uh, something Nike or, or those. He said, yeah, they're, they're all, they all could do very well, but toothpaste. He said, everybody will need to start cleaning their teeth. And he also mentions um, Essilor Luxottica, which is something we mentioned the other, ta- uh, the other, the other day, which is obviously a sunglasses and, and glasses mm. brand. He said uh, uh, quite a lot of the world still doesn't have any form of eye correction, but that will come when the middle class grows and the global wealth grows in those countries. So it's another brand that has like, you know, almost infinite wins. Um, so, yeah, he, it was a really interesting talk because uh, it really does make you think about, you know, God, I didn't realize people didn't yeah. brush the teeth. Um, and that's just 100%. crazy, you know, and he, he's basically it's sort of imploring you to look beyond America because America is pretty... Is, is is pretty done. There's not going to be an awful lot of uh, growth from your Colgates uh, there, but that's not where Colgate will finish. Uh, yeah. they're, they're a global brand, and, and so long as the global brand and global wealth is getting bigger, uh, Colgate will continue to grow. So that's what I think Unilever, the, the goons at Unilever have done. They've seen this. They've seen this that speech from Terry Smith, and they've gone, oh, maybe we should do it. And they've kind of fumbled around, and they've, not, they've gone, oh, well, we've got distribution chains and we we're in we're in the arse end of africa as well and we're in the arse end of like south america like oh maybe we can do it and they've, they've kind of muddled together this plan and they were going to just try and push basic you know real uh, things in your cupboard they were going to try and push that onto the rest of the world and then uh, it, it hasn't happened and maybe now this uh, maybe other companies are going to see this and see this part of uh GlaxoSmith's client and maybe make a better deal for this because of where it is and that that's kind of where i saw this deal uh, and it may just be opportunist opportunistic and satirical because i saw that at that same time as this happening so i've just put those two 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 and two together there but uh, I think these these trends happen, and I would like to implore anyone to start looking into areas where the Western world has all these things, but there aren't a lot of things uh, you know, that that doesn't exist elsewhere in the world. And I think I can bring us all the way back to Nanox here, Steve D, uh, with an, as another example of something that the rest of the world doesn't have that the developed world does have, and that is um, X-ray technology, very simple mm-hmm. X-ray technology as well. And that is a company that we're both into, uh, Nanox, and of course Transmedics as well will will uh, just create better. Um, uh organ transplant as well which the rest of the world doesn't have so uh, think about those things they're big things but like terry smith says look in your cupboard look at look at listerine and look at uh arm and hammer and just go okay where are they going where's where's the growth in there where's the value add and you might find some and interestingly he definitely has a holding in colgate he's ready for that to go um so yeah, just just one of the interesting things. Any final thoughts on that one? <laughs> no, shaking the head. Uh, like that's it. Being that's time that conscious. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. Right. Our last one. I feel like this is going to be a lecture. I feel. I think this is going to be uh This is going to be a Ricky Gervais lecture. This is so. Uh, let's see. Cool. LSEG, the London Stock okay. Exchange is the stock that Steve D wants to talk about this week. What do we got? Oh, 
Okay, so this is very much a hiding in plain sight kind of company. I think it's probably one of the most exciting companies on the FTSE. It, it essentially is the FTSE. Um, so I've got a bit of a deep dive on it. I, I know I referred you to business breakdowns, but I've since continued to do even more research on it. And I think uh, I've unearthed um, uh, a very, very good company. So I'll give you a little rundown. Then I'm going to pass over to Steve to do the history to sort of like break down the monotony of, monotony of my voice. And then uh, I'll finish up with a few uh, cases. Um, so it's a 40 billion market cap. It's a, it's a key infrastructure piece of the world's financial markets. It's had 11 takeover attempts in the last 20 years from various banks and financial institutions. Uh, it's closed on its acquisition of Refinitiv in 2021 from the Blackstone Group and Thomson Reuters. And um, it offers a wide range of services, financial markets and data exchanges, which make it an essential, uh, essential for a functioning financial market, not just for the UK, but for the world. So Steve, give us a brief, uh, a brief history. Yeah, that world point is going to be important later on. So let's have a quick run through of the company's history then. I mean, you can start kind of wherever you like on this a little bit, but I promised Tom Morgan I would start by saying that the uh, company has its origins back in the 1600s when uh, Pete from Meaningful Money had this idea and he thought to himself, <laughs> no, he didn't do that. Uh, you're welcome, Tom. <laughs> the, um, those who know, no. <laughs> uh, it may well have had its origins back in uh, London in the 1600s. I wrote my undergrad dissertation on that, for what it's worth. But I didn't come across um, either Pete or the LSE. But our story starts in 1801, really, when uh, there was uh, an exchange called the LSE, which was um, basically publicly owned and was a mutual uh, thing. So it was um, owned by its members rather than by its shareholders. And demutualized in 2000 after having been deregulated in the 1980s. Fast forward to 2007. And the story now basically becomes one of two major themes. Uh, the first is shifting away from just being an exchange into an information provider. Uh, so think of things like uh, FactSec um, and that kind of thing. More on this from Steve in a moment. And the second is getting as big as you can and using that size as an advantage for a kind of protective moat. Uh, so the story now takes over with acquisitions, basically. Um, 2007, the LSE is under um, competition, basically. It's been disrupted all over the place from challenger exchanges. And LSE merges with the Italian exchange. Uh, 2009, the hero of our story, a guy called Xavier Rolle uh, from France, uh, or I think Algeria, actually, uh, is appointed CEO. Uh, and turns the business from a regional exchange into a basic global infrastructure business. How does he do that? Okay, so almost immediately, uh, he acquires Millennium IT, which is a leader in high-performance trading systems. This makes the thing faster and brings down the costs. Around the same time, he acquires a company called Turquoise, which is a European trading venue, uh, and owns that in partnership with the banks. 2012-13, we have different ideas about this, or a gradual process becomes a majority owner of the London Clearing House. And now we're in the business of doing clearing things as well. Uh, more services, making ourselves bigger. 2014, acquires Frank Russell Company of the Russell 2000 fame. 2016 is a blocked merger with the German exchange uh, because of monopoly concerns. 2017, uh, Rolais is replaced with David Schwimmer. No, not that one. Uh, a guy who used to be head of equities trading at Goldman Sachs, I think. Um, 20 years. And in 2018, here's the moment you've been waiting for, Paul. The London Clearinghouse that I mentioned a moment ago clears over one quadrillion in notional cash in a single year. Of course, Paul, uh, a quadrillion is a one followed by how many noughts? A lot. Some. <laughs> 24, correct, Paul. 
yes. Um, uh, in 2019, it acquires Beyond Ratings, which is an ESG data firm, launches the Shanghai to London Connect, which allows UK investors to access to China A shares and takes 5.2% in the business called Euroclear. 2021 gets you to where Steve left us, which is we required Refinitiv. Refinitiv, by the way, is the source of all those EPS estimates that I was talking about with the banks earlier. Um, and Refinitiv owns Tradeweb, which you might have heard of. They get them from Blackstone, the alternative investments group. Um, back to you then, Steve. We've acquired a lot of stuff. What's happening now? Yeah, so there is a few other quite important sort of acquisitions in there as well. So there's uh, they acquired a yield book from City, which allows them to do fixed income indices. That's City Group. Um, they got Mergent as well, which is another financial information company. They do a lot more private and public companies. Um, they acquired um, SwapClear, which is an interest rate derivative clearing service. So that gets uh, hacked onto LCH. Um, and they also got a, a little stake in EuroClear as well, which is... Um, uh, you know, another interesting clearinghouse. So, um, interesting business, really interesting business. So, I just want to give you really an overview of the business model. Um, so, LSEG's main business model is that it provides financial market infrastructure to global audiences. Uh, its three main areas of business are data and analytics, capital markets, and post trade. Um, so, just to quickly tell you what all those are um, capital markets include things like private placements, public placements, issuances, and more generally listings and trade execution. Um, post trade includes clearing and settlement, reporting and post trade data. And data and analytics is all the stuff you do before pre trade. So, research, liquidity, price discovery, referencing, pre trade analytics, onboarding analytics, anything really you need to consider before you actually press that buy button. So, data makes up 70% of its revenue. Uh, it monetizes its data through a mix of subscription, asset link fees, and license fees. Capital markets make up at about 17%, and post-trade is, uh, is, is just about the rest. Um, actually, in their, um, in their uh, last statement, they said 70, 17, and 14. Now, if you quickly add up that, that's not 100. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, so just to put some numbers to it, data is about 5 billion. 65% um, of that is recurring revenue, the sort of revenue we really like. 1.2 billion is capital markets and about 900 million in post-trade stuff. So costs, um, it's surprisingly a very, very low cost operator. Um, you'd be pleased to hear that being a monopoly, uh, essentially. It has very healthy gross and operating margins, gross margin being around 90%. Uh, op margin is trending upwards. Uh, it was 28% in 2016. It's actually 35% on present day. So, um, yeah, really, really interesting uh, top and bottom at the moment. So, advantages. I'm going to fill you full of buzzwords, Paul. So, it's open access, which means that you don't need to take a bundle of services on board um, in order to access the exchange. exchange. This differentiates it from other exchanges, which tend to make you buy things you don't want in order to access the exchange. Um, it's vertically integrated, so it controls global assets starting at pre-trade information, can take you through the trade, and can settle for you. It has strong network effects due to clearing a large percent of global interest rate swaps, leading to the market participants flocking to the largest liquidity provider because they can give you the most accurate real-time price. Um, it has strong brand recognition with the FTSE and Russell brands, which coincidentally have high switching costs because they're ranked globally as the third largest assets under management linked to indexes. And it has a moat. It's super highly regulated, uh, has a proven history of compliance and transparency, and you won't get any upstarts appearing and suddenly eating their lunch. Um, so I had a really quick look at the Refinitiv deal, and because um, Refinitiv is something I didn't know an awful lot about, and they spent an awful lot of money on it. Um, so Refinitiv can be broken down into four areas. So Icon, 
uh, and it's basically a competitor to Bloomberg's terminal. It offers real-time historic data points across a breadth of financial products, and it has about 190,000 users, and they're paying anywhere up to $22,000 a year. Uh, it has Risk Solutions, which is a suite of services tailored towards like things like KYC, Know Your Customer, Compliance and Fraud Prevention Tools. These are pretty much aimed at banks. Um, it has FX trading, so FX and matching control. Uh, it controls around 35% of the FX market, which was quite surprising. It covers around 400 billion of notional per day and actually ties into the Icon Terminal, so it's part of the subscription. And they own TradeWeb, which we mentioned earlier, so Revinitiv owns a control in staking TradeWeb. It's the leading electronic platform for US Treasuries. It's in fierce competition with the stock that you may have come across. It's listed. Market Access, it's a Motley Fool favourite. Um, so here's your sales pitch. Uh, an opportunity to diversify the exchange, pivot to more predictable revenues, improve existing products provide more in-house synergies, um, post-merger. I think pretty much you could say the market agreed because it's risen 70%, um, outpacing global averages. Um, I think it's all gone pretty well. But I'm here to tell you it hasn't really all been rosy. Um, so in mid-2021, uh, the LSE announced that they'd have to provide an additional $1 billion, which is about uh, a year's free cash flow, I think, off the top of my head, maybe a year and a half free cash flow, um, provide an additional billion to help fund integration and upgrades with uh, their services and refinitives. They said that operating expenses are going to grow for the single mid-digits. Uh, they said that revenue would be under the 5 to 7% benchmark that they set at the beginning of the financial year. So I was trying to figure out why this was, and, I, and from what I could tell, it's ICOM. Um, I think that makes up about 40% uh, of the revenue. Um, the terminal's got quite a number of issues in light of sort of growing automation, um, the rise of no-touch trading, the rise of passive investing. None of these really need a terminal of any sorts. There's also a lot of pressure from Bloomberg, which is which has battered Refinitiv over the last decade. It's taken market share for all but the last two or three years. Um, Bloomberg terminals, for those that don't know, they're a bit of an elitist tool in the trading network. They're very, very expensive. They're $100,000 a seat, um, uh, and that's a starting price as well. And uh, you basically get something that looks like teletext, if you're old enough to know what that is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a, a, a deal of this size for a company on the LSC, it takes a lot of smart management to turn it around. And... Um, we just don't know at the moment. Under Raleigh, he has a lot of experience of getting acquisitions um, up and running under Schwimmer. We just don't know whether that's really a thing. But I've got a bull case for you. Um, the industry is still growing. Um, technology is improving. Um, it's generating new use cases for them all the time. Regulation is driving businesses away from fragmented banking systems and onto the LSE uh, and other centralized exchanges. So this leads to higher quality, more frequent reporting and drives higher reporting standards, which obviously really the regulator really, really likes. Um, but more broadly speaking, broader business digitization, broader integration and the willingness to do it. Uh, more companies are happy to deal with data. There's a the rise of passive investing, um, democratizing of trading through neo-brokers, rising global wealth, uh, globalization of businesses. All of these things really help LSEG in one way or another. So I had a quick look down the guidance again. They are now guiding for 5 to 7% revenue growth per annum. Uh, they're hoping for about 70% of that to become um, recurring, 90% gross margins. Money soon will flow to the bottom line. Um, revenue is pretty diversified, 40% US, 40% Europe, and then Middle East and Asia makes up about 20%. 
Um, so mission critical infrastructure for trade and investment, it's already embedded in institu uh, institutional investor workflows. It has really sticky relationships it's difficult to get rid of. So I think the main sort of natural flywheel for them is contribution margin, which will obviously contribute to the operating margin. Um, it's worth noting that its peers have operating margin in the sort of 40 to 50 range. So we aren't finished expanding upwards yet. Uh, I think it's a really interesting business. What do you think? <laughs> Woo! That. Congratulations, first off, for doing that in about seven minutes. So, absolutely brilliant. Um, so, you're telling me this is a ridiculously old business with a lot of catchy tech um, kind of uh, plays going on at the moment. So, you, you've got recurring revenue. You've got uh, you've got a, a fully integrated business, a vertical business. It, it sounds really, it sounds too good to be true. What's what's the catch? The catch is that they've just spent an awful lot of money on something that they're struggling to get integrated. Um, I think that's the issue with it at the moment. But you know, the the price ran up to about ninety five pound off the top of my head, and it has come back down to the seventies. So uh, the market is looking at this deal now as. Uh, well, that's not not that it's necessarily in jeopardy. Just, just it's not going to it's not going to integrate as easily um, as they originally thought it was. So, and I'm not going to tell you there's a margin of safety there because I still think it's quite an expensive business. But it's a premium business um, which now has premium um, sticky revenues, um, really high gross margins, improving operating margins, and and all these things are only going to get better the more they take the technology on board. And I mean, clearing a quadrillion in uh, notional in a year. Is is crazy. That is a that is a record. Just in case we didn't em emphasize that enough, that that has never been done before, and, and they're now about to do it for the second year too. Looks like it's yeah. beating Ark in share price as well. Uh, from the um, from the COVID crash. Interestingly, Ark is where Sorry. I was going with this. For what it's worth, Paul. I mean, so mm. when I tried doing the digging on this that Steve kind of sent me. It's easy to get in your head this idea of um, LSEG as basically an exchange, and you may well get in your head just by even thinking about it briefly. Yeah, it's got a pretty strong moat. Stuff has to go through it. It's basically an infrastructure thing. It will kind of take fees for people trading on its exchanges and so on. And it's reasonably straightforward to peg it as a highly predictable uh, but highly basic uh, business. Um, and it's not that. I mean, it is partly that. But Steve's kind of general takeaway here is that there's lots of other things attached onto this. There's important data things attached onto this. There's important clearing things add onto it. It does a lot of things that aren't immediately obvious. And that's why it's kind of worth looking into. It's quite a hard look into, uh, to be honest. I found it quite, uh, mm. uh, quite a lengthy listen and I had to have a few goes at it when I was listening to it. And I'm still not sure I've got it all for what it's worth. But I think it's one that's really worth the time to appreciate. As far as ARC are concerned, Cathy Wood, uh, they trade so much that I don't really pay attention to where they are at any particular moment, but she has been in and out of ICE, which is the uh, US Intercontinental Exchange, yeah. which I think owns the NYSE. Um, I'd be interested to see how something like LSEG shapes up in comparison to ICE, or mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether Chicago Mercantile Exchange is publicly traded, or even the NASDAQ. Um, I think of those as similar things. I also thought of those as kind of fairly... Uh, basically dumb infrastructure uh, things where people try and make money on them and just kind of pay a toll for going through them. I do wonder whether there's something might be similar there, that they also have various other bits. But, I mean, worth noting here that uh, the fact that Steve is looking at LSEG and now owns part of LSEG doesn't mean he's turned into a kind of uh, infrastructure kind of guy. This does plenty <laughs> of things that have... Uh, 
in theory, growth written all over them, uh, rather than just uh, buying a bunch of pipes, basically. Yeah, so one of the key things is, is that um, Bloomberg is a fantastic business. It has very strong, um, very strong sort of like grasp on the data market and the data news feed, the live sort of data feed. And they have for sort of eight of the last 10 years have been absolutely battering Refinitiv, nicking market share consistently every year. Two years ago, that stopped and Refinitiv started to take back market share. And uh, the data part of um, Refinitiv is high revenue it's high margin good recurring revenue business now the bet with lseg um because you know growth investing is a bet on the future um more or less so than you guys also you guys can make a, a sort of judgment on the past it's very difficult with the refinitive to do that but with growth investing the bet is that that trend now continues and if refinitive can keep taking market share away from bloomberg and it's um looking at the reviews of it, it is a vastly superior product. It doesn't come with the elitism that having a Bloomberg terminal does, but it looks pretty good. And if it can keep taking market share away from um, from from Bloomberg, then it will be worth a lot more money in the future. Yeah, the Bloomberg terminal is the, uh, the high quality, high fashion uh, it's the it's the brand, isn't it? That's that's what people are, uh, seem to be buying. And when you're working on Wall Street or something like that, that's people look at you and go, mm, "You've got a Bloomberg term. I, I'll fuck him." Yeah, you pop a <laughs> screenshot of that on Twitter, and people take you seriously. You can draw whatever lines you want on yeah. it, just as long as it's a screenshot from a Bloomberg terminal. People yeah, think, true. That, that, that yeah. must be happening. Maybe yeah, we could do a Bloomberg. load of memes like playing bamboozle and just trying to tell everybody we're on our, <laughs> on our Bloomberg time. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to anyone old enough to know that joke is a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, very, money. very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> very, very interesting uh, <laughs> breakdown there. Um, I, I, I did wonder if you'd looked at the Nasdaq because the Nasdaq is is traded. So um, I did wonder, but I, as far as I could tell from what you've said, and obviously I've done nothing uh, other than my last look at Nasdaq. It the Nasdaq is like nothing in comparison to what Elseg is. Uh, the, as far as the Nasdaq tried the... to acquire Elseg, um, they yeah. they offered five billion for it, but it was. Uh, it was rejected. I, th I can't remember what year that was in, um, but it was quite... 2006, I think it was. Six, I think, uh, I yeah. Think it was a five, yeah, five billion takeover, and, and uh, it was re it was rebuffed, so... Uh, that was... Uh, what was it? What was it trading at then? It must have been trading at around one billion at that time. Now, 41 billion uh, market mm. cap right now. Uh, so, mm. yeah, someone made the, someone made the right deal. Refinitive-wise, uh, I mean, I can't go in any further than I... The only time I've ever had real-world contact with Re Re uh, Refinitiv that I know of is that when I look on CBC, NBC and see the estimates come out, the estimates are always yep. re according to Re Refinitiv and not to Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. So it's a very uh, – yeah, we are using them. We are using Re Refinitiv every single day in the uh, investing world. Probably not in your day-to-day -day life, but interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. Personally, looking at it right right out of the the boat, if I'm using a, a basic stock calculator of some sort, uh, this looks overvalued, like you like you say. But um, like you say, a bet on the future, bet on growth. 
Interesting. Very, very interesting. We'll leave that there, though. Thank you very much to everybody who has listened this week. Uh, again, I'll uh, say thank you to everybody who's donated and keeping this mm. podcast alive right now. Uh, thank you so much for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up. <laughs>